Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Recently, Kellen and I were surprised to be contacted by the winner of Season 9, which is the most recent season of the History Channel series alone. They mentioned that they were a fan of the podcast, had been listening since day one, and thought that they had some insights to share with us in regards to the challenges, both physical and mental, of surviving alone. Today's episode is a recording of our interview, and we've intentionally left their name out of the title of the podcast and have not mentioned it up to this point, just in case if you are a fan of the series and haven't watched this most recent season yet, we didn't want to provide any spoilers. That being said, if you would like to not know who it was, please stop listening to the episode at this point. Also, in case you're not familiar with Alone, I'm just going to read a little blurb about it from its Wikipedia page. Alone is an American survival competition series on History Channel. It follows the self-documented daily struggles of 10 individuals as they survive alone in the wilderness for as long as possible using a limited amount of survival equipment. With the exception of medical check-ins, the participants are isolated from each other and all other humans. They may tap out at any time or be removed due to failing a medical check-in. It is an incredibly interesting series to watch. You know, They drop these people off in the wilderness, usually right before winter hits. They're allowed to take only 10 items with them. They have to be pre-approved items, and then they are completely on their own to try and survive. The winner of this year's season and the subject of this interview is Juan Pablo Quinones. And just to read a little bit about him from his bio, he's a survival specialist and outdoor professional with over 10 years of experience in outdoor recreation and survival. He holds a Bachelor of Applied Ecotourism and Outdoor Leadership. His outdoor and survival experience include backpacking the entire Pacific Crest Trail, which is 2,650 miles in 99 days, paddling over 1,500 miles during numerous whitewater and flatwater trips, 
living for six months in the wild with his partner, Jennifer Ford, foraging to complement their semi-starvation rations and spending a hundred days foraging in solitude during the boreal winter, supported only by small rations, and being a participant and winner in season nine of the hit survival series Alone. He is the author of a new book called Thrive, Long-Term Wilderness Survival Guide. And with that, here's the interview. Okay, Juan Pablo, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's awesome to have you. Thank you very much. I'm thankful for the opportunity. So obviously, we have a ton of awesome stuff to talk about. You are the winner of season nine of Alone, which is a show that I have kind of been obsessed with the last couple of years. I didn't find it until a year or two ago, but the experiences that are lived there are incredible. I feel like I've learned a ton from the show. And I'm excited to ask you some questions, obviously having participated in it and winning it. Um, but we also have some other questions that we want to ask you just around your life and around preparedness, mental health, mental resilience, those types of things in general. That's great. Okay, well, we'll hop right in. So I guess to, to start this, let's talk about your life before the show. So what was it that got your attention or got you started into the whole resiliency sort of survivalist mindset? Well, I, I've always been very interested in survival since a young, young age. What really attracted me was just like the stories of adventurers, explorers going through very difficult situations and just like the potential of what people could do in those situations. Uh, to me, that was super inspiring. And I've always wanted to do adventures, I guess, because of that, too. So naturally, like that resilience and and going into challenges that that just survival leads naturally into that. So and I, from what I understand, alone was not your first of these adventures that you're talking about. You've you've done this several times. What is your experience that you brought in before the show regarding survivalism? Yeah. So even just being a kid, I, I would always just go on adventures with friends or or by myself into the access to nature I had. And yeah, as I grew older, I just started to do more ambitious and remote and adventurous things and just try to build up on that. And some of the things I've done was like my my love for long-term outdoor trips started really when I did the Pacific Crest Trail from Mexico to Canada. And that took me like 99 days hiking. And that was an awesome experience. I really recommend that if you have the privilege of the time and, and the motivation, like that's an awesome thing to do. And then after that, I basically, I watched Into the Wild and I wanted to do that. So I did my own version without dying. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the, I just went with my partner and a canoe into the bush for six months and it was a pretty open, not super planned adventure. It was just like, okay, let's let's bring a limited amount of gear and supplies and see if we can stay there for 180 days. And hopefully we'll learn a lot of stuff. So do you think there's anything about your upbringing or the way that you were raised that made you interested in all of this? Or do you think it just came naturally? I feel maybe my rebellious side wanted to when I was a kid and teenager I just wanted to to go into adventures and maybe I wanted a more adventurous life that's really what pushed me into doing things maybe like I come from Mexico and I I can't see growing up there there's a huge spectrum of like socioeconomic status 
I can see people living through challenges and, and, and I can see the privilege very well, like growing up. So I, I came from a place from relative privilege from Mexico, for sure. Like I wasn't poor by any means. My family was like, well, socioeconomically and yeah, maybe my rebellious side of like, you know what, like I want more of that, like challenge and adventure and yeah, it's hard to explain. That's my theory of why I like that kind of stuff. So let's talk about the show. What was it like to apply? Did you just have to submit an application online and then they interviewed for it? Yeah, you have to like, uh, basically you send your resume, some pictures. Uh, if you have social media, your social media, and then, then you go through a, a series of, it's basically like a job interview, but yeah, you just go through some phone interviews, video interviews, and then you go through the bootcamp selection process. And what was that selection process like? They showed it in, I don't know how much I can speak about this, but they, sure. they show it in, in, I think the first or second season, they show a little bit about what bootcamp is, but basically um, they just do some psychological tests and make sure that you have the skills and the experience and they basically make sure that you are who you say you are and you're not just trying to project another image and then like they'll drop you for a day and then you'll be calling back home because you can't deal with it. They just want to make sure you're not going to do that. Yeah, it doesn't make great TV if half the contestants drop out the same day they're dropped off, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So, okay, diving into the show itself. The very first time that we really see you in the show, you talk a little bit about your one of your philosophies, sort of your mindset going into it. And I thought it was interesting because it contrasted severely, in some cases, with the other contestants. You see contestants go on there who are very optimistic and happy, and they're just laughing and jolly about everything. But you went into it with, I mean, a self-proclaimed sort of negative attitude saying, I'm, I'm not expecting this to be good. I, you know, I know this isn't going to be great. I'm paraphrasing here. Um, I expect nothing. And that way, when good things happen, I'll be pleasantly surprised. So tell us about why that mindset. Yeah, I guess I've had my ass kicked by nature a few times for sure. So I just knew it wasn't going to be easy. I knew it was going to be really hard. So I basically, like my whole approach to the, the challenge was I'm going to prepare as much as I can and I'm just going to hope like hope for the best, but really, really prepare for the worst case scenario. And I, I did that. Like I basically prepared as if there was going to be like no food and it was going to be completely miserable weather the whole time. And obviously it wasn't like that. <laughs> so it's pretty nice when you go with that mindset it's almost like, yeah, this is going to be okay after all. And I think if you go with, with that, it's going to be awesome experience and I'm going to have so much fun. Like, yeah, there's some truth to that. It's going to be a really nice experience and you're going to have fun. But at the same time, if you go with that mindset, you're probably going to be surprised about how difficult it's going to be too. I think most people doing the show really get surprised by how challenging it is. I can imagine watching it. It's there's obviously two very distinct aspects to who makes it the furthest. One is the physical side and one is the mental side on the physical side in this season. It seemed like a lot of people were getting sick. There was like physical sicknesses, water pathogens and things like that that were making them sick. And what was interesting was they were all boiling their water. You were just drinking it raw. 
why do you think they were getting sick when you weren't? Well, one other person was boiling their water. They don't show in the show, but I know for sure that at least one other person. Also, same strategy as mine. In our modern society, I see, I, I think often we have that mindset of trying to avoid things that will likely happen anyways. I think a more natural approach is just to be like, okay, like there's a sizable likelihood that this is going to happen. Uh, why don't I just prepare for this to happen? So for instance, my mindset about water is like, in practice, it's really, really hard to ensure that your water is 100% sterile in, in the wild. Because when you grab your water filter, it's really hard to keep like some drops of water not going into your clean water. It's just really hard to keep like everything perfectly pure. It's going to happen anyway. So why, why not try to develop resistance to, to those things? I see also this with like boots. People try to keep their, their feet dry, but I think often what happens is your socks get wet, your feet get wet, and it's really hard to dry your boots in that outdoor situation. So yeah, my approach is more of have a pair of boots that will get dry very easy. So that mindset of like, I'm not going to expect anything good to happen. In fact, I'm going to expect some of these negative things to happen and I'm just going to prepare for it. How do you feel like that relates to the way somebody should look at collapse and, and what might happen in a collapse scenario? Yeah, it's like in risk management. And I, I come from like, I don't know a lot of, about risk management, but I studied ecotourism and outdoor leadership and in outdoor recreation, risk management is big. So you think about as a good outdoor leader, you, you need to know what's possible out there and, and prepare no matter what you're how optimistic you are because you have clients and there might be like a danger of avalanche or drowning or whatever. As an outdoor leader, you have to manage this risk and really prepare of like, okay, what's going to happen if there's an avalanche and I'm skiing? How am I going to deal with this situation? Like, and if you don't prepare, you're seen as a negligent, like you can be liable in court and they can just say like, oh, you're completely negligent because you didn't prepare for an avalanche and you're skiing with clients. So I come from that background, like I've been trained in that in university. So I think, yeah, collapse is the same. Like the outcome of collapse is obviously it's very negative, right? And maybe people don't want to think about that, but you have to mitigate that risk, even if, if the risk is not super big. From a risk management perspective, you need to be prepared for those outcomes because it's just a possibility. So we just talked about a couple of the physical aspects of it. Let's talk about the mental as well. And obviously this relates to both your experience on alone and your other adventures in, in isolation and, and out in the wild, but it, it is just as applicable to our listeners who obviously are concerned more about a long-term decline of, of civilization. So tell me about the mental side of it. How hard was it to be out there that long without seeing other people? Yeah, it's, it's super, super obvious when you're going through those experiences that we are social animals. Like most of us, I know there's some hermits out there, but even if you're very introverted and you don't see many people in your daily life, just being completely isolated, it, it, really, it really feels like something threatening. Like I describe it as an uneasy feeling, like I, I especially feel it in my heart, just like that uneasy feeling that if something happens, you're completely on your own. 
and it, it's it's difficult it's very difficult for sure and it's so obvious that we're not supposed to be alone everything's so difficult like you really miss your friends and your family like all your emotions get like they just get more emphasized yeah i find myself watching the show i find myself getting anxious it, it almost feels claustrophobic to me to watch all these people who are alone and watching them deal with their emotions watching them deal with obviously the physical pains that they're going through as well, but knowing that they are talking to themselves all day long and trying to keep themselves happy and entertained and motivated. And that seems to me like that would be extremely difficult. So how did you do it? How did you get through it? Um, you were there for 78 days. So what was it that kept you mentally strong? Was it in the preparation? Was it something that you did continually while you were there? Was it a mixture of both? Well, it's a mixture of everything. I had a very strong motivation. Just I wanted to win. I also had done lots of stuff like that before. And I had one period of going 100 days by myself in the winter without anyone, tens of kilometers. Complete, yeah, like I was no safety team. So I had gone through similar experiences. I'm, I'm sure that helped a lot. I also did a few exercises, like um, kind of like mental health exercises, giving thanks for three things that I, I appreciated out there every day, especially like the days that I was feeling low. And I did breathing exercises, like just 10 deep breaths. Again, when I was feeling low, that, that so simple, but really helped. It feels weird to say this, but I don't feel I was, I don't know. I don't feel I was as challenged as I could have been mentally. I think uh, I still had a lot of room for more difficulty, but yeah, but it, it was, it was difficult. I had like my mission of I'm doing this because of myself, my family. This is something that I've always wanted to do. And I worked so far, so far and so hard to get here. So yeah, I'm just going to follow with this. And I also had this mindset of I'm not here like, for me, success was just just doing everything I thought in a smart way, everything I could do to stay the longest out there. Like for me, winning, obviously it's success, but that was not my, my point was just like, go as far as I can possibly can. That was my success. And it was apparent in watching as the episodes progressed that you had a really good handle on your emotional state, on your mental state where some of the contestants, it seemed like they were on edge constantly or convincing themselves that they were okay and they could keep going. And you're always wondering, are they going to stay or are they going to go? It never felt that way with you. It felt like you had control and, and your primary concern was keeping your physical state in a, you know, in a place where you could stay. And you made a conscious decision to fast for 20 days at one point because you noticed that the effort it was taking you to acquire food was more than you were getting from the food, right? So walk us through a little bit of that. Um, you, you mentioned, I remember in that episode, something about you had a mental hunger, but by consciously deciding to fast, you were able to eliminate that. Explain what that was. Okay, so I'll, I'll try to start with the, with the beginning. So uh, in alone, it's not just you that has the control of if you stay like definitely you can push the button and you get out but ultimately it's a medical team that that can pull you out at any time so 
that was one of my worries out there was like like I'm good like I want to be here and I'm going to stay here as long as I can but as soon as the medical team thinks that it's not safe for me to be out there like they'll pull me out so it's it's a bit of it's complex but yeah for sure I I, I never wanted to go out I really wanted to see how far like my body and my mind could go even though that could put me at a yeah like that it's a risk on my health for sure but sometimes like curiosity can override that and just like yeah the decision to fast it it was a hard one because I'm in a tv show and the expectation the onset expectation is for me to be like doing interesting stuff even like there's never any expectations at all that that's just me projecting that but doing that I, I knew that okay like I'm going I might disappoint viewers and stuff like that but I also wanted to to send in the message of like, you should really think about this a little bit more analytically and not just try to do something if it's not producing uh, the results that you want. And in survival, I, I know that hunkering down is a very viable strategy and it's often the strategy that most people use in survival situations. So yeah, I just wanted to... Well, I did that because I thought it was the way to stay the longest out there in my circumstances. But I also, I wanted to uh, show by example that, yeah, like this is another viable way to do it. And if you're, in ever, if you're ever in a survival situation, you can also do this. You know, when we talk about collapse on the podcast, we find it very unlikely that any of us will ever really need to be alone. The, the whole premise of the show that you were able to succeed so well on is that you are alone, but how do you feel like your preparation and your behavior would have changed if you were with your entire family trying to survive? That That's, a, that's such a complex question. Like I can't even wrap my head around that. Like you mean if my entire family went to do that, the show, if it, if, if that was like the concept? Yeah, I guess if you were in a situation where you didn't have all the modern comforts and you were with your family trying to survive, do you feel like your mentality would have still been the same or would you have needed to approach it very differently? Well, I guess, yeah, it wouldn't be about, personally, it wouldn't be about like surviving the longest, but it would be more about doing what I think you should do in that situation, like maybe being a little bit idealistic and just like leading by example. And yeah, just trying to have a, as much of a fulfilling life as I, as I could. I think, yeah, survival for the sake of survival. I don't know. It's, a, it's such a complicated question <laughs> uh, for me to answer. Let me ask a different, but maybe a similar type of question. If, you know, in, in Alone, there are 10 contestants who are by themselves and the longest in this season made it, you made it 78 days. If the 10 of you were dropped off together, in one spot and allowed to work together as a team, how much longer do you think you could all stay out there keeping each other company? Well, if it's tricky because we have so many restrictions out there, like uh, in terms of hunting and fishing, gathering, all that stuff. But if we had no restrictions, like we could stay there forever. Like um, we're just such a skilled group, even with those limited, with good motivation, I think like, yeah, 10 people can stay there for a really long time. Now, in in your case, in the show itself, you made it 78 days, but it seems that the way that you were doing it probably would not have been sustainable in the long term. 
right? Because in the end, your strategy was to hunker down and make it as long as you could until you could go back to somewhere where you could you could eat and, and regain your health. So I guess my question would be then, what, what you're doing was not completely sustainable, most likely. How would you have changed your strategy if you knew no one was ever coming back and your goal was just to live as long as you could? Yeah, well, with the caveat that there, without any restrictions, I would definitely have moved to to the to a more like a coast, closer to the coast, and just focus on hunting seals and polar bears and whatever like the the indigenous hunter gatherers that that have lived there um, for thousands of years in the past. Like whatever they targeted, that's what I would have targeted, and I would have used gill nets and ice fish with gill nets and yeah the approach would have been very very different alone is it's challenging like that's why you have like a it's a half million dollar prize for the last person standing and they, they make it challenging yeah it's definitely difficult and it's not meant to be a demonstration of how can you survive in the wild like there's lots to learn from alone but yeah it, it's it's meant to be a challenge Sure. And, and you're saying that because of the restrictions they put on you, that's what makes it challenging. In a different scenario, if you were truly on your own with no restrictions, then there would be a lot more options that might open up to you to, for longer term survival. Yeah, like it would still be very challenging, but I think it would be possible to stay for like maybe some years. But obviously that's still not sustainable because we're meant to live in tribes of at least 20 people as social like creatures it's like it would be so taxing on your health and your body like just when you're out there you just so you get so chronically tired your bones hurt your all your muscles hurt like yeah even if you're getting enough food like you can't afford any injuries you can't afford to get sick if you're on your own like it's just completely unsustainable to be on your own like it's possible but yeah not sustainable at all it seems like it was a handful of years ago that the show alone got really popular. And I started to hear about it from lots of other people before I had ever seen it myself. One of the most common things I hear from people is, it's crazy. I could never do that. <laughs> and I think in our day and age, a lot of people would really struggle to think that they could even go camping for a few weeks. And so for anyone who might watch the show and watch what you do and think, oh, I could never do that. Is there any advice you would have or, or how would you, what kind of tips would you give or encouragement would you give to somebody like that? Well, there's many stories of, especially in survival of people that are put into situations and they have to rise to the occasion, like teenage girls that they're the last surviving person in a plane crash in the Amazon and they have to walk out even though they don't know anything about the jungle or, or anything, right? So people might think that, oh, I could never do that. And maybe the majority of people could never do that. But there's a lot of people that could do that, even if they don't think they could do it. You'll be surprised at what you can do when, like, going back to your family and your survival is at stake. Those are, like, such big, strong motivations, like... Especially family, such a strong motivation that you can do lots of stuff for that. And there is obviously a big difference between a survival situation in which you need to, I guess, in which is temporary, right? Waiting for someone to come rescue you 
or get back to civilization. Uh, but in the longer term of things, uh, you know, this podcast, we talk about society and it's degrading and, and how eventually the technologies and comforts that we currently experience will no longer be around. So you hear of a lot of people, especially in like the prepper sphere, who talk about they're going to bug out and they're going to go and live in the wilderness and they're going to survive that way that they can just leave everything behind and go do it themselves. Watching this show, that for me personally has completely eliminated that possibility from my mind. It's sort of de-romanticized that for me because I know I would not last. What are your thoughts? Do you think that for most people in a situation where, where there's no food in the grocery stores or something like that, is going out to the wilderness the right plan? What are your thoughts? Well, for the vast majority of people, like, yeah, obviously that's that's not gonna be a realistic plan at all. Even before that, it's just like when do you if, if we're talking about societal decline, the question is even like when are you gonna go out? Are you going out like today or next year? So even just that uh that's problematic. The timing is problematic. But I think really it's about where are you living and then just see am I living in a city, am I living in a rural area? What can my bioregion support and how can I how can I be supported here within my community? Like there there's stories about people going into the bush, like um the Lyko family in Russia. They were persecuted because of their religious beliefs and they went into the taiga and lived over forty years there. But it's not a happy ending. They had huge sacrifices, various fam- members of the family died and eventually like the whole family like there's no surviving family members so there's your that's a that's a good example of what happens in those situations is like it's not sustainable it it wasn't sustainable for them like they could do it for 40 years but now the family is gone it's just too taxing if you want to do something like that it would have to be a community for sure but most people realistically like most humans right now live in in cities and yeah, it's complicated. Like the answer to go into the bush, I think the reason to go into the wilderness is to really understand how nature works and what nature needs, and then just try to apply that where you live. I do think that living in a city is unsustainable because that's kind of like the definition of a city is a place where you need imported resources from outside the city. So just by that definition, all cities are unsustainable, but what are we going to do as a society? Get out of the cities and live in the rural areas? I think the problem is going to naturally resolve itself. Yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a great answer. So you have kind of taken all of your knowledge and experiences and you have put them together into a book, which you just recently released, what was it, a month ago now? Yeah, I, I released it in July 12. Awesome. So the book, the book is called Thrive. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Um, I haven't had the chance to read it yet. I have watched some people give reviews about it. And from everything that I've heard so far, it's amazing. Yeah, so I thank you very much for that. I put a lot of passion and time and energy into this book, basically just trying to fill a hole in the survival literature of most books are for like short term survival, just survive 72 hours, get back to civilization or get rescued. 
And there's some books out there that is really a mix and it's kind of complicated. But I wanted this book, which there there's not like a lot of need for this book. It's very niche. But just the thought behind it was like, what if you needed to survive in the wild for, for as long as you needed to? Um, so that really has a unique approach that you don't see any other books. And I'm not saying like, I think if you if you're into preparedness and survival, you would find it very interesting. Yeah, it basically like it's it talks about the mindset, some techniques you can use to have a, a better mindset in that situation and skills and techniques to gather food. Um I live like I live in the boreal forest in Canada and there's many, many people, especially in indigenous reserves, where like you're remote and you you're dependent on or planes bringing in food like it's a very sketchy situation to be in when there's like supply chain disruptions and all these things like COVID like I feel like there's going to be a little bit more need to be self-sufficient especially for the communities that are remote in the middle of the boreal forest so I think that's going to be helpful for those communities and I think there's some transferable stuff that people in more urban and like suburban areas can can use but yeah it's, it's more useful for people in rural areas for sure good to know and it does seem like from those reviews that i watched they did feel like you were filling a hole specifically around the mindset part because it's kind of a taboo topic it seems like uh, in a lot of emergency prep type books where it's all about the gear and the um the training and and all you know the physical aspects and not so much about how to keep your cool and, and you know how to how to have the proper mindset for it and you actually spend a significant amount of time in the book going through that where can people find the book and um where can they find out more about you yeah um the best place to find the book is on amazon and if you want to find out more about me is just my website jpquinones.com We'll link to it in the uh, in the episode yeah. description so people don't have to try and spell it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I should have thought more about that. <laughs> just kidding. One other question I had, you mentioned that a lot of other books just focus on like survive for 72 hours, then get back to society. And that's one thing that makes makes your book different from others. Do you think there's anything else about your survival philosophy that is different than most other survivalists out there yeah that that's a good question i think maybe maybe most survival books out there come from like a military survival and this kind of manual of yeah you need to survive while you're down from in the enemy lines and and you're out of the logistic chain you don't have food right and yeah you need to survive for a few days while we get you your mres and it's my, my book is more about like I'm very inspired in nature and learning about like nature is the ultimate survival uh, survivalist. It's been using so many strategies to survive and it's super resilient. So I try to to observe all these strategies and just transfer them into how into resilience and just survival. So I, I think that's that's something different from my book is, yeah, it's kind of like biomimicry and just what lessons you can use and apply into survival and into resilience in general. There's just so much out there to learn from nature. And you mentioned before that you feel like cities in and of themselves aren't very sustainable. 
You also talked about some of these communities that have to have their food shipped in, these civilizations in the forest. Is there anything else about kind of modern life that is especially concerning to you that makes you think more and more people need these survival skills? Yeah, like, so when you live in the forest and you're just like barely covering your basic needs, it's very obvious. It's very obvious what you really need and very obvious what is superfluous and we what is unsustainable. And when you, like, after my six months in the bush, just going back to civilization, it's such a shock. Like, even even seeing people not eat their food like at a restaurant and just throw it away like that's almost that that was really difficult for me to to see that after being in the bush you know so you start to see all these things how energy blind we are like um we just use energy like it's nothing when you know that in the bush like that energy would have been like oh yeah i could use that for firewood or to get around and fish so you it's just so easy to notice that our whole system is completely unsustainable and that there's just so much uh, superfluous stuff and, and so much waste. So, yeah, like I see all these things and, and then because of, I guess, I try to really listen to nature and really like nothing from an anthropocentric perspective, but think about, oh, like what would the animals think about our situation? And then... Yeah, just having that perspective, and then I I look I I try to examine our society through that lens, and then it's obvious that like we're going in a direction that is just not good. So that that's that's what I see, and I I want to I want to be a leader, and like I want to lead by ex- show. Yeah, le- I want to lead by example and try to to live a more sustainable life and a more resilient and living community. It's very difficult to do that, but I'm, I'm going to try. That is awesome to hear. And I, I sincerely hope that we're able to connect again in the future. As you probably know, Kellen and I are wanting to do another podcast on just that topic, um, how to build resilient communities, how to become resilient individuals. And that's hopefully coming soon. And we're going to need all the help we can get, all the expertise we can get. So if you're cool with it, we'll be reaching back out and uh, hopefully diving deeper with you on some of those topics. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. Juan Pablo, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. We've enjoyed uh, this conversation. And again, we hope to speak again in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. And yeah, I, I, I've listened since you guys started. I've been listening to you. So I'm Good. glad I, I, I was on your podcast. Yeah, we're, we're certainly happy to have you here. Thanks so much. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.